they were very respectful of the boundaries I drew, which God, I'm so grateful for because when you are pregnant after a loss, even if it's your third, fourth, fifth pregnancy after a loss, you still go back to the pregnancy of your loss and you internalize everything. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. Happy Monday, you guys. This week I have a birth story to share with you guys. And I gotta say, this story is absolutely incredible. This week I had Addie join me on the podcast and she is just a fabulous storyteller. Addie had an emergency C-section with her first daughter, Sophie, who unfortunately did not survive. Addie goes into detail of the events leading up to that day and what I can only describe as negligence by her care team during the birth of her first daughter. She then finds herself pregnant again three months later with her rainbow baby and this time chose an elective C-section for her birth. Then nine months after the birth of her rainbow, she becomes pregnant with, in her words, her pot of gold baby. His birth was an empowering VBAC after her previous two C-sections. This story does discuss stillbirth, birth trauma, and grief, which can be difficult for some to hear. If these topics are at all triggering for you, I invite you to pause this episode right now and we'll reconnect next week. All right, let's get right into this week's episode. Hi, Addie. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thanks so much for being here today with me. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to share a little bit about my daughter's story and all of that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, hobbies, I don't know, whatever you want to share. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Addie. I'm 25. I live in Florida with my two living children, Belle and Alex. Belle is almost two. Alex is almost seven months. So almost Irish twins. Yeah. Yeah. And I I also have my daughter, Sophie, and she would be three this year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, if you don't mind, let's start back with Sophie's pregnancy. Usually what I have people do is kind of go back to when they were kind of finding out they were pregnant and then go through that. And then we can talk about pregnancy and then we talk about birth stories. So why don't we go way back to when you first found out you were pregnant with Sophie? Yeah, that sounds good. So the way I found out was actually kind of odd and I was not expecting to find out because I was not actively trying. I wasn't in a relationship at the time, but you know, we weren't trying. I went to visit my grandmother who lives about two hours away and she needed to go to Walgreens <laughs> for a cane because she had just been in an accident and was having a hard time walking. And we walked through the pregnancy test aisle and then saw the pregnancy test. And then I remembered I've been cramping for like four days and I haven't gotten a period. Uh Oh yeah. Telltale sign. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
And I'm like, maybe I should just pick one of these up. It's probably negative. It's probably stress, but you know, yeah, better be safe. Than Famous last words, you know. <laughs> Famous last words. So I got the test. I got my grandmother hurricane and I, I took her home and I decided to take it in her bathroom. Why? I don't remember. It just, I just felt like that was a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I took the test. And I, when I looked at it, it was blank. When I looked at it five minutes later, it was blank. There was mm-hmm. nothing there. And I'm like, I don't think this is Isn't there supposed to be at least one line here? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, okay, this isn't right. So I took the test apart. Oh, no. <laughs> the P strip was flipped upside down inside of the test. Whoa. So, That's yeah, so I took weird. the test apart. <laughs> it, it is weird. A little bit of a manufacturer flaw there. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> at least I knew that you could take the test apart. So yeah, I flipped the strip over and it was very clearly positive. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So for anyone listening, if you ever have that problem, you can pop that pregnancy test open and that might be your solution right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. You can't do that with a digital test, though. Digital yeah, tests no, not not so well. Not so well. Well, okay. So what was your reaction to this? I was very excited, but I was also kind of nervous because the pregnancy prior to that had resulted in a chemical pregnancy about a year before. So I was very on edge about miscarriage, and I knew about the one in four statistic, which is ironic, but you know. But so yeah, a good mix of emotions, excitement, fear, joy, very emotional. Yeah. I cried the entire two drive home. And I was uh but when by the time I got home, I told my significant other at the time that I, you know, thought that I was going to do some kind of cute thing to surprise him like put it in a little baggie or something. But no, I just kind of threw the test in his face and I said, "Look, we're pregnant." Yeah, that's kind of what I did too. I'm like, oh, "What am I thinking about like, okay, am I going to do like a bun in the oven kind of thing or am I going to make it?" And it's like, "No, you you're just so nervous. You're like, "Here, look at look at this." <laughs> so. so I threw the test through the test in his face and I was like, "Here, here, we're pregnant." Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the actual pregnancy and tell me, do you have any complications? How was the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester? How did everything go? So I just want to make a disclaimer here that some of these details might be fuzzy because it's been all a little bit over three years since I was pregnant with her. But from what I can remember, my first trimester was, it was okay. I had some morning sickness for the first two or three months. I could not eat meat, Mm. steak, chicken, couldn't do it. I basically lived a vegetarian diet for that two to three months. I craved sour gummy worms and chocolate Mm. milk. Mm. Yum. It's like a delicious diet. (laughs) It sounds like a delicious, very healthy diet. (laughs) Sour gummy worms and chocolate milk, which I felt was kind of odd because the craving was kind of synonymous with the the morning sickness, which Mm -hmm. should really be called all day sickness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it it is not exclusively limited to the morning for definitely not. Never been pregnant. Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So second trimester, eh, it was all right. I never got my energy back. I was always so tired and I always had like a really bad headache, but preeclampsia was always ruled out because my blood pressure was always great and Mm -hmm. there was never any swelling, never any protein in my urine, nothing like that. I just always had a headache, which I know can be normal for pregnancy. 
when I was 20 weeks pregnant, I got into a car accident. Um, I was turning left at a stop sign and I got T-boned. Mm, yeah. well, not quite, but T-boned is a good enough explanation. Yeah. And, you know, I went to the hospital and they checked on the baby and everything seemed fine. My placenta seemed fine. Um, I was not hit very hard, maybe 30 miles an hour, but still any car accident during pregnancy, uh, not good. So, but Everything was fine. Everything third trimester was normal. All of her ultrasounds and non-stress tests towards the end were also normal. Not really much else to say. I had a pretty uneventful pregnancy for the most part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go now into her birth story. Now, what week of pregnancy did this happen? I had her at 38 weeks even. She was born at midnight. Okay. So as of midnight... It was. It would have been thirty-eight weeks, but gotcha. for purposes of this, let's just say thirty-seven and six. Gotcha. gotcha. And I was I was induced at thirty-seven and four weeks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so let's go into if you don't mind sharing the events kind of leading up to those days and how you you know got to the hospital. You said you were induced, so obviously they were telling you. You know, I'm assuming that you went in, something happened, or they were like, oh, you've got preeclampsia, let's induce you for this. So if you don't mind going into detail about what kind of led up to those days. Sure. So at my very last prenatal appointment, which was, yeah, like 37 and three or 37 and four, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, my blood pressure was on the higher side and I didn't want it to get worse because with my very first pregnancy, which I placed my baby for adoption at that, you know, with my first pregnancy. Okay. I just thought that might be a good idea before the blood pressure issues continued to increase. Because even though I didn't have preeclampsia, high blood pressure when you're pregnant, too high is uh, not good. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. So they asked to induce and I stupidly agreed because my blood pressure was high, but it was not life-threatening. It was like 140 over 80. Mm-hmm. which for a pregnant woman now, I know that that's not awful. Yeah. And at 37 and some change, you know, kind of weeks, I mean, typically they say, okay, you're kind of getting to that level, but let's keep you pregnant for a little bit longer. Like let's, you know, kind of wait and watch and kind of see how this goes. But yeah, I would agree that that's a little bit early to induce unless there is, you know, you're having blurry vision or you're having really, really severe headaches or you're having a lot, a lot of protein and they're like, okay, we need, but 37. Yeah. I would agree that that's a, that's a little bit early. Yeah. And if I had known that information at the time, then I would have said no and asked to be put on blood pressure medication if they really thought it was that serious. And I am a nursing major. I have not graduated, but Mm -hmm. I know that the longer you can stay pregnant, even if that means you're taking medicine to stay pregnant, is typically better for the baby and for the mom. So I do wish I would have known. I kind of carry some guilt in that regard that I didn't say no, but I didn't know. Yeah, understandable. And that'll kind of come into play later when we get to talking about the grieving process. But that's how that started. So I went in to be monitored. They asked to induce me and I agreed. And they started with Cytotec. I believe they did three rounds of that before really any change started to be made. Mm -hmm. And then they broke my water without my consent. They didn't ask. When I was like one centimeter and like 20% effaced, if that Also wish I would have known what I know now, and I I would have said no. So they did that, and then her heart rate started to tank. 
and it stayed that way for, I'm going to say that was maybe three o'clock on March 30th um, that it started to tank. And then it just continued to tank over the course of the rest of that day. And at, I want to say about 7 p.m., it could have been a little bit later than that, the resident physician checked me and he said that he felt something verbatim felt something but he wouldn't tell me what it was and then so they brought in the ultrasound and he said it was her hand like it was a what's this called like a compound presentation Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so hand up by the face compound presentation and she was asynclinic so her head was like cocked like diagonally towards the ceiling so just not in a great position to come out And she wasn't a big baby and my first baby wasn't big either. So, you know, that wasn't really a concern that we had that, you know, we didn't really think that that was a problem. And you delivered vaginally with your first one? With my first. Yes, I did. Okay. No problems, no complications. That pregnancy is the easiest of the four that I've had. Gotcha. Anyway, so yeah, they confirmed the asynclinic hand presentation. And I wish that I would have just asked for a C-section at that time because I had been laboring at that time for over a day and Mm -hmm. I was just sick of it. Yeah, I wish that I would have and I didn't. And again, carrying some guilt in that regard that I didn't ask for a C-section, but it was never even brought up as an option. They just said, we'll up the Pitocin and go from there. Yeah. Anyway, so about two, three hours later, I get an epidural. The epidural does not work at all. Mm. <laughs> I'm still screaming and writhing in pain. And maybe about an hour after the epidural is placed, maybe two hours. Again, it's fuzzy because it's been well over three years since, you know, that whole event. I start feeling something weird in the nether regions. Mm-hmm. Trying to keep this rated PG. Yeah, it's okay. We're, people, we've had some PG-13 conversations on the Mommy Liverners podcast. You're good. But yes, we, okay. we all know what nether regions mean. <laughs> yeah, I started feeling something weird and I started in my head thinking something is wrong because, again, her heart rate had been inconsistent over the past eight to nine hours, but now it was getting even worse. So my sister-in-law at the time, she was looking at the monitor and looking at me and she's, you know, looking at me and she's asking me, is that normal what's going on in the monitor? And I said, no, but it's been that way the whole time and no one's really doing anything about it. So, I mean, I guess if they're saying that it's fine, then it's probably fine. And she's like, yeah, well now we're dipping into like the 80 beats per minute range. I know it's kind of hard because I'm just wondering, you're saying that it started to dip at three o'clock and you remember, was it like going like this or was it slowly kind of declining do you remember what it looked like at all it was slowly kind of declining yeah see that I don't like that Mm -mm. it was slowly kind of declining it was a good number I remember it was 165 beats per minute Uh before my water was broken I remember that very clearly and I have my fetal heart rate charts Um, oh okay that more had to do with the grieving thing just yeah yeah having her heart beat somewhere yeah yeah and it, it just kind of yeah slowly started to tank over the course of the day. Yeah. And a couple of times I'd point out, I'm like, that's lower than it was before. You know, my water's broken. Can we like look into this a little bit? And the nurse would go, nah, it's fine. 
the doctor will come in later on this evening. You'll be all right. Mm. She, that nurse just didn't want to nurse that day. Um, I'm going to refrain from saying negative things about her for other reasons, but um, she just really didn't want to be a nurse that day. So again, like, uh, yeah, maybe 10 o'clock, 1030. Oh my gosh. Can't even remember. I start the epidural isn't working. So I'm screaming and writhing in pain and I start feeling something in the nether region. So the resident comes in and says that there's, that he can't feel anything, that there's nothing there. I was maybe five or six centimeters at that time. And so he leaves heart rate still starting to tank, but now it's like, it's already now reached kind of a lower level and it's starting to dip Mm -hmm. as in like very deep dips. And then it'll come back up to like that 105 beat per minute range. It just, it wasn't good. And then about an hour later at 1149, and I remember this very vividly because I was looking at my phone, my daughter's heart rate dips to about 60 from the 105 and it stays there. Nobody comes in the room to see what's going on. My sister-in-law goes screaming out into the hallway, goes down to the nurse's station and starts beating on the table that someone needs to come see what the F we've got going on in my room. Yeah. So the labor nurse comes in, you know, again, she's still saying, oh, you you know, basically just implying that we're overdramatic and everything's fine. And I, at this point I'm angry. And so I'm telling her, call the doctor as the patient. I'm asking for a doctor to come in because something is wrong and, and something has been wrong now for hours and you're continuing to ignore it. So now I don't want to deal with you. I want to be dealing with the doctor, please. Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently she can't find the attending. The attending is somewhere else and nowhere to be found. So they pull the resident and the resident comes in and checks me and he mouths to the nurse, call the OR. And because I am a nursing major and because I just happened to know, I knew what was going on immediately. I knew that her cord was prolapsed and I knew that it likely had been um, since her water was, since my water was broken at like one o'clock and because she was so high, like minus four station at the time that my water was broken. And so the nurse now decides that she wants to uh, be a nurse and she's nursing hat on way too late, but she decides right now. Okay. Basically starts throwing off her like nursing jacket. Why she was wearing one. I have no idea because this looked like a coat that a doctor would wear. It didn't even look like one that a nurse would wear, but I guess it's neither here nor there. (sighs) At that point I could, I could not speak. I was crying and screaming and I continued to cry and scream until I was knocked out because I was obviously put under general. So they wheeled the beds. Wheels are broken too. So one of the wheels on the bed are freaking broken and they can't get the bed to move. And because I obviously can't walk (laughs) because I have an epidural. Now we have to wait for them to fix the bed, which is just precious minutes being wasted. So they finally get the bed moving and there's like only maybe two or three people pushing my bed down the hallway. And we get into the operating room and they load me from the labor bed to the OR table. And out of all of the people in that hospital, I would say that the only two decent human beings that I had that night that I was very lucky to have was my anesthesiologist and my antepartum nurse who took care of me after my daughter was gone because they obviously did not have me on mother baby after she died. They had me on antepartum. And again, crying and screaming still, not very coherent at all. Well, I guess, yes, I'm coherent, but I'm I don't even know if there's a word to describe that amount of hysteria. I don't even think there is one. There's not. There's not. I know exactly 
what you're talking about, but no, there's not. Anyway, so I remember my left arm was like out towards the anesthesiologist and she's like, you know, we're going to put you under general anesthesia and it's going to be okay. And while it wasn't going to be okay, I'm glad she told me that anyway. I don't know why. I'm just, I'm glad she said that because I guess maybe because at least I didn't get put under general already with the knowledge that she wasn't going to survive. So she knocks me out in the matter of like 10 seconds, very fast. I had never been put under anesthesia before because I'd never had surgery. So, well, I had, but I was two. So I obviously don't remember. Yeah. She knocks yeah. me out and I wake up what feels like five minutes later and I'm still on the operating table when I have woken up. You know, they move me to the labor bed and the OR doors open. And the first person I see standing in front of me is the neonatologist. And of course, I'm still groggy. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Were the first things he said to me was, was, I'm so sorry. And at first I'm like, what are you talking about? You're sorry. What? I don't get it. I don't get what you mean. And so he's trying to talk to me as they're rolling me down the hall to, I don't know, know what this room was. I know it wasn't the NICU, but it was at the end. There was like a hall. So the OR doors open and then there's a hall and then there's a bay with, enclosed curtains and some like baby warmers in there yeah they usually have like a resuscitation room you know if a baby's born needs resuscitation they usually have one right next to there so so instead of like going all the way to the NICU or they just like have all their supplies there so that's probably where what what okay. the sort of room that's good was. to know I didn't know that yeah I've always kind of wondered what that room was because I yeah. knew it wasn't the NICU because there was only like two beds in it and right. I knew it wasn't postpartum and I knew it wasn't labor. So thank you for telling me that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. It's just, you know, safety. Like they don't want to rush you all the way to the NICU and they have, it's basically like a little mini NICU stop (laughs) before getting to the NICU. To the NICU. Yeah. Right. I get it. That makes sense. Cool. So yeah, the neonatologist is trying to talk to me as they're wheeling me to this NICU resuscitation room that you described. And They put her in my arms and she's intubated and the neonatologist just from what I can remember. And again, these memories are very fuzzy because I, you know, general and it takes time to come to and yeah, it obviously makes things hard. So they put her in my arms and she's intubated and he's basically explaining that there's nothing else that he can do. I do remember that he said, I've tried everything and I spent about, she was alive because she was intubated. Yeah. So I spent, I want to say that they had me closed up around 135, 136-ish. And I remember that I got to the, they had her in my arms by 139 or 140. These are very specific times, but I, don't, I can remember the smallest little details like that. I just can't remember the big things. Yeah. So I held her up until she died. I had them pull the tube out when it became apparent that death was imminent and she was going to pass, whether she was intubated or not. They took the tube out by my request at 2.06 and she was gone by 2.09. But they tried, supposedly, and I say that because there's evidence in the records to suggest that more could have been done, but that's not really something I want to talk about. That's fine. That just opens a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Yeah. She was gone by 
they pulled the tube out at 206 and she was gone by 209. And um, the scream that came out of me is something that uh, would probably shake you to your core. And I have since uh, realized that that's more often than not the response that moms make when they're told their child is no longer living. And so in the immediate moments after she died, it was maybe 10 minutes that I spent in that room. I obviously held her for the longest of the time that we were in that room. Her dad held her prior to that because he says that they tried to work on her chest compressions, epinephrine, all that stuff for about an hour. And then after that, he told them to stop and he decided to hold her at that point, which I held some resentment to him for that. But now I know that there was literally nothing more that the damage was done at one o'clock when they broke my water without my consent. And then they let it go that long without. Right. And no I'm, one I'm was not aware. Share the, yeah. I'm not going to share the name of the hospital because that would open yeah. up another can of worms that I don't want to open. But yeah, no. Yep. Yeah, we spent about 10 minutes in that little resuscitation room after she died. I held her for most of that. I remember that my father-in-law, who I'm very close to, because I don't, me and my actual dad are not, not close at all, because he, he has substance abuse problems, and so therefore I don't associate with him. But my father-in-law and I are two peas in a pod, if you will. And he leaned over and he kissed my head and he said, I'm so sorry, baby. And I've never seen the man cry. But he cried that day. So I let Herbie passed around so she could meet all of the members of the family that were present that day. My mom wasn't present. She couldn't be. She was in another town and she didn't even know I was being induced because it was kind of a very last minute thing. I didn't even have time to go get bags at home because it was just, they decided to induce me and it was underway 10 minutes later. And then obviously since most of my labor was spent dealing with the heart rate problems, it wasn't like I got to spend a lot of time on my phone anyway. Yeah. Makes sense. So for the people that were there, her dad, sister-in-law, father-in-law, mother-in-law, they all met my daughter and said their goodbyes. And then I was moved back to the, it wasn't my labor room, but I think it was a room like at the end of the labor hall. It was like a recovery room, but not mother baby. Usually the pack you like the. Yeah. And so they had me there overnight. And then a bereavement nurse, I don't know if she was from now I lay me down to sleep, but I don't think so because she had like a badge with the name of the hospital. And so I think she was employed. I think she was employed by the hospital, but she just so happened to also do photography. And she may have done the bereavement photography for IUFDs, intrauterine fetal demises and things of that sort. That's simply my assumption though. I'm I'm not actually sure. She asked consent to take photos of Sophie from me while I slept. Um and at first I did not want to sleep. I just wanted to hold her because I'm like, those idiots have taken away 18 years or a lifetime with my child. I'm only gonna have a day. I don't want to take my eyes off of her for that yeah. day. Yeah. I Completely understand that feeling. But yeah. I was exhausted. So I'm like, okay, yeah, go take her photo. She's like, okay, we're going to be right in the room next door. If at any point you wake up and you want her back, I will immediately bring her back. No questions asked. 
So I slept for probably about two or three hours while the photographer took the photos of her by herself. I forgot to mention that prior to that, I did help give her a bath. I gave her a bath. I picked out something for her to wear for her pictures. And I would say that's probably my favorite part, if there is such a thing. The part that I find the most tolerable was that part, giving her a bath, because that's the only bath I was ever going to be able to give. So I slept for two or three hours, and she brought the baby back, and uh, she woke me up. She's like, you want to keep sleeping? And I'm like, no, I would just I want to hold the baby now. And she's like, well, would you like pictures with your baby? I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. So she took some beautiful images. Some of them I still can't look at. It's easier to look at the ones that are like black and white or it's of her feet or her hands. Some of them are still a little bit too raw for me to look at as of right now because I'm still very much in the grieving process. I remember asking her to take a picture of her feet with my wedding band around her toes because mm -hmm. she was so little and her feet were just real small. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's probably one of the favorite pictures that I have, like one of the ones that I look at the most. And yeah, I held her for about a day and they put me down in antepartum. I rang the bell because you know how labor units usually have a bell you can ring that sets an alert off in the hospital that a baby's been born. It usually plays some kind of lullaby. Yeah, sometimes our hospitals don't. I wish they did do that, but mine doesn't. But yeah, that's very common that they have. Yeah, they have little our, like a happy birthday song or something. Yeah, well, this was like uh, a, like a very standard standard lullaby. I can't remember the one. I wish I could, but I can't. I rang. They didn't ask, but I asked to ring the bell anyway, because that's something that I wanted to do. I always wanted to do that. It was you know part of my birth plan, if you will, that I wanted to ring the bell after she was born. So I did that. And then they took me down to postpartum or not postpartum. What do you call it? Antipartum? Yeah. I mean, you were postpartum, but they didn't bring you to the postpartum unit. They usually either bring you back to labor and delivery or they usually bring you to like an antipartum unit. Yeah, they had antipartum. So they brought me to antipartum and the nurse I had in antipartum is a saint. Is uh, a saint. At least you had one good one. Yeah, just a saint can't even describe the amount of support that she's given me since that day. We are still very close now. She's the godmother of my two living children that oh, I had after so the fact. I, truth be told, I don't know if I would have survived that week hospital stay if she had not been there. I, I'm not going to say that, but. Yeah. I think you probably know where my head is at. I, I do. I do. I do. And I'm so happy that she was there for you. She sounds like an angel. She is an absolute angel. And it's because she gets it. She herself had a, her son was stillborn about 20 to 30 years before, I think 20 years before, but she had a placental abruption after falling down the stairs and oh. she lost her baby. So she knew where I was at. Yeah. She knew what I needed the type of support that I needed to survive the immediate aftermath. And I would not let anyone else take my daughter to the morgue, but her, a couple people tried to come in and take Sophie from me. And I said, Nope, I want her. I want her. Her name is Tracy. I'm going to keep her last name private to protect her Fair. identity, but yeah, we love you, Tracy. Shout out to you. Yes. You're a great nurse. Yes. She is a 
wonderful <laughs> nurse. She has since left that hospital for other reasons and moved to yeah. another one because that hospital's just kind of gone downhill uh-huh. even more, if you can believe that, ever since. But anyway, I wouldn't let anybody else take Sophie to the morgue but her. Yeah. So I made them wait and you know I shouldn't have even been in the position to be asking anyone to let me hold my baby for as long as I want no you know I never should have had to have been in that position in the first place no but certainly don't harass me to hand my newborn baby over before I'm ready to but if I was gonna I wasn't giving her to anyone but Tracy so I did I waited for her to come back on shift that night because she was night shift so I waited until seven And then when I was basically ready to go to sleep, I took a couple pictures of my daughter on my phone because I wanted something that was raw and not edited. Mm -hmm. That was not made to look cute. You know, I wanted, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted that raw imagery, if you will. Yeah. So I did that, kissed her goodbye. And I sang her the lullaby that my grandma used to sing me. You know, you are my sunshine. Yeah. The only sunshine. And. I did that, kissed her, and I said, I'll see you again. I gave her to Tracy, and she took her to the morgue. And then she came back, and we cried for probably two or three hours. Luckily, I was her only patient, thankfully. So I kind of had her to myself, which is what I needed. I'm sorry, I've never actually told somebody the full story before. It's okay. Yeah, this often happens where it's very like, what's the right word, cathartic to talk about it. Yeah, it's okay. That's why, you know, we put these stories out here for, I mean, it's for other people, but a lot of times it's for you. Oh, yeah. Anyway, took her to the morgue. I had to stay in the hospital for a week because I needed a blood transfusion. My iron was low before Uh. my cesarean, but then after it was just, it was real low. I got up and passed out. My head was killing me. I was exhausted. So yeah, I had to get two blood transfusions. Oh, and then with those blood transfusions came a whole other nightmare because I got antibodies from them that I did not already make. Oh, We are going to pause Addie's incredible story here and dedicate this episode to the life of her sweet daughter, Sophie, and all of the babies that are taken far too soon. Be sure to tune in next week to hear Addie tell the story of her rainbow baby and pot of gold baby and what it's been like to grieve and process Sophie's death. See you then. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.